Our reading this morning is from Acts chapter 20, starting at verse 17. Um, Feel free to follow along on the screen. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardship are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hello. Um, My name's Iona. For those of you who don't know me, I've been part of Christchurch since I was seven years old, but I haven't been around much for the last uh, five or six years because I went away to university and then when I graduated, I became a full-time missionary. Um, So I now work for an organisation called Circuit Riders, which is part of Youth With A Mission and we're based in California. And for most of the year, we travel all around working with university students and youth, sharing the gospel and training them as evangelists to share the gospel wherever they are and to lead a missional lifestyle at their universities and in their schools. So basically my whole job is to talk to young people about Jesus, talk to their friends about Jesus, Um, spend time with them and encourage them in their faith which is a hundred percent the best job in the world I love it so much Um, I've been to 21 countries in the last year doing this job Um, most recently I was in North Africa um, and I would love to share some stories of how God is moving um, there so definitely grab me afterwards to hear about the underground church in North Africa Um, So today's uh, theme is the urgency of sharing the gospel and making the Great Commission a priority in our lives. This is my absolute favorite topic from my favorite book of the Bible, Acts. And um, I wrote this before the Queen died, but I thought I couldn't share on this topic 
um, without reflecting briefly on how she consistently shared her personal faith. Every Christmas, she preached the gospel to the whole nation in a way that no one else could have done. I love to imagine families sitting around in their living room after lunch um, and having the good news of Jesus spoken directly into their living rooms. In 2011, she said, although we are capable of great acts of kindness, history teaches us that we sometimes need saving from ourselves, from our recklessness or our greed. God sent, us into, God sent into the world a unique person, neither a philosopher nor a general, important though they are, but a savior with the power to forgive. More than nine million people watched her speech last year. That's nine million people hearing either for the first time or maybe the hundredth time their need for a savior and the fact that salvation is only found in Jesus. That's pretty amazing evangelism. And the queen used her position and role to communicate the love of Jesus to as many people as possible. And even though our jobs might be very different, you might not get to speak to nine million people at once, um, we can do the same whatever our workplace is. Um, so I wanted to think about that today. And the passage of scripture I picked um, from Acts 20, I chose it because it provoked me um, more than anything else I've read recently to reassess my priorities. And these verses leave us no option but to reevaluate what we consider most important in our lives, not just what we would say is most important because we know that that's the right answer, but where we genuinely put our time and our money and our resources. And these verses stopped me in my tracks, and I actually stopped and wrote a list of the things that I value and was brutally honest about how highly do I rank the things that God has asked me to do. So um, the passage um, that we just heard, I really want to zone in on just one verse and break it down into tons of detail. But before I do that, um, let me paint the scene. So. This passage is a speech given by Paul to the elders of the Ephesian church. And Paul has been traveling all around Greece and Macedonia, and he's heading for Jerusalem, where he knows, because the Holy Spirit has told him multiple times, um, that he will be imprisoned and that there's a lot of suffering ahead. So he's en route to Jerusalem. He's hurrying to get there in time for the Pentecost festival celebrations. And because he was in a hurry to get there, he didn't plan to go to Ephesus. Maybe because he loved them so deeply, he thought it would be impossible to have a short visit. So he thought he'd just sail on past. But at some point, Paul decides he needs to speak to the Ephesians one last time. And so he sends a message to the elders of the church to come and meet him. So they travel from Ephesus to Miletus, which is on the west coast of modern-day Turkey. It's about a 36-mile journey, which they would have probably had to walk, and they come to hear what Paul has to say. So imagine all these church leaders, they've come 36 miles, they're not sure 
um, what this is about, but they know Paul has something urgent to say to them. And so Paul is convinced that he'll never see them again, which is pretty shocking news to them. So this is his final dramatic goodbye speech to a group of people that he loves so deeply that he's spent so much time pouring into with everything he's got. Think of the scene in a movie where the father figure is giving the last epic wisdom in a goodbye speech before he dies, knowing it will change the trajectory of the protagonist's story. This is this kind of speech. So I'm just going to read a couple of verses again from verse 22 to 24, and uh, I have it in the ESB version. It says, You know from the day I set foot in the province of Asia until now, I have done the Lord's work humbly and with many tears. I have endured the trials that came to me from the plots of the Jews. I never shrank back from telling you what you needed to hear, either publicly or in in your homes. I have had one message for the Jews and Greeks alike, the necessity of repenting from sin and turning to God and of having faith in our Lord Jesus. And now I am bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what awaits me except that the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. But, and this is the verse that stopped me in my tracks, but my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others about the good news, about the wonderful grace of God. I'm going to read verse 24 again because this blows my mind. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others about the good news, about the wonderful grace of God. This verse utterly blew me away because here's the question. Can I say that? Do I truly count my life as nothing unless I preach the gospel? And my answer is no. I don't think I could truthfully say right now that there's no value in my life unless I preach the gospel. But I want my answer to be yes. I aspire for that to be true in my life and my heart. And um, in my message today, I want to really break down this verse and allow us to be challenged by it because it is so challenging. It's not a comfortable passage of scripture to read. And this verse starts, my life. That's the period of time he's on earth, which is a short period when you look at it in the perspective and the whole span of eternity. For these 80 or 90 years we're on earth, he's given us specific tasks to complete. We don't know what all of them are, because that would be overwhelming, but we know that one of them very simply is to preach the gospel. That's the same for every single Christian, and it never changes. We never move on from it. We're never going to tick that off as completed, done, preach the gospel, I'm a good Christian, yay. Um, There's always going to be more people to tell the good news. So continuing, Paul says, my life is worth nothing to me. That's not a pity party. He knows that his life is of immeasurable value because Jesus paid for it with his own blood. And so the next word in the verse is the crucial bit, unless. 
This is the word um, the whole verse hangs upon. It's the hinge in this verse. Uh, It changes the meaning of everything that's been said up to that point. My life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus. And Paul goes on to explain exactly what the work is that's assigned to him. He says it's the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. Now, others is not specific. It's not four more people, then I'm done. Not one more city. Not one more trip. There's always more people. Paul was called to the Gentiles, and Gentiles simply means person who's not Jewish. The plural term in Hebrew for Gentiles can be translated to the nations. So when Paul says the work of telling others, he's saying the work of sharing the gospel with the nations, all of them, to the ends of the earth, every single one. And it's called good news um, because it's news that people don't know yet. Sometimes I forget that it's news because I just assume that everyone I come into contact with um, already kind of knows who Jesus is. Um, But one thing I've noticed um, from all of the young people, especially that I talk to on a daily basis, is even if they have an idea of who he was as a religious or a historical figure, Um, Most of the people we interact with on a daily basis don't actually know what it is to be in a relationship with the loving God. And so if they don't know about relationship with a loving God, they don't know what it feels like to have the weight of every time you've messed up lifted off your shoulders. They don't know the security of being able to trust in God's provision. They don't know what it's like to not have to compare yourself to every other person because your identity is given by him. They don't know what it's like to be in a worldwide family of believers who'll become like your siblings just because you both love him. They don't know what it's like to be able to speak directly to the one who made heaven and earth and everything in it and actually hear him respond. They don't know about the wonderful grace of God, which is that although you didn't deserve it, Jesus took all of your sins upon himself and dealt with it in order to make a way for you to be close to God and have real relationship with him forever. And how will they know that that is available unless we tell them? You might not feel called to go to another country as a missionary, but there are so many people within one mile radius of you just walking around not knowing that that is available to you. And our task is that we have to tell them all. So people at work, people in Sainsbury's, people on the bus, your neighbors, your friends, your colleagues, Whatever our day-to-day life looks like, whatever our job title is, our assignment is always to preach the gospel, and that will never change. So reading um, these verses, I was so challenged thinking about how highly I value this assignment compared to everything else in my life. And I sat down and made a list of the things that I value the most highly apart from the gospel, so everything else that's a priority in my life. 
and I wrote that I valued my family, my friendships, my health, traveling to fun and exciting new places, having nice things. And for each of those things, I found concrete examples in scripture showing that Paul doesn't prioritize any of those things above preaching the gospel. It's not that these things aren't valuable, just that they shouldn't take precedence over this assignment. So my motivation usually for going somewhere is that it's fun and exciting and I haven't been yet. Um, but Paul is not going to a fun and exciting new place. He's following the Holy Spirit to Jerusalem where he knows that suffering awaits. Paul says that he is bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. We know that he's not physically bound. No one's forcing him to go because he has free will the same as us. The Spirit is not forcing him. It's an inner compulsion. He's compelled to go because he's so in step with the Spirit and so in love with God that to him to be disobedient is unthinkable. It's repulsive. He can't help but do what the Spirit tells him to do. And this challenges my level of obedience so much. Am I bound to go wherever or do whatever God tells me? If I hear that still small voice, can I easily shake it off? If I feel God saying, pray for that person, speak to that person, can I easily shake it off and say, well, no, that's awkward, I'm not gonna do that? Or does it stick with me? Does it play round and round in my mind until I go and pray for them? Am I bound by my inner conviction, not in a manipulative way, but because of love to obey? And another thing, Paul will never get to see this particular group of friends again. These aren't just a random group of people that he's not emotionally connected to or that he just drops in and preaches to every now and again. He was lived there with them, living among them for three whole years. He's so invested in them and they love and respect him as their leader. And in verse 37, after this speech is over, it says they leave him embracing and crying and kissing him goodbye. So clearly he's prioritizing following the Spirit's call over being with them. And we know from other letters that he doesn't prioritize his health or having nice things. There's a list of his trials in 2 Corinthians 11 that includes, among other things, being whipped, being stoned, being shipwrecked, um, long journeys, hard work, sleepless nights, hunger, cold. That's not the way that I would advertise being a missionary. I would say, come to Circuit Riders, you get to travel with the most amazing people, we live in beach houses, then we go around Europe, and it's really cool, and you get to preach the gospel while you do it. And then I thought, does the way that I describe Circuit Riders, what does that reveal about my priorities? I literally stopped and went, am I a circuit rider because I want friendship and adventure, or am I a circuit rider because I want to preach the gospel? If it wasn't so much fun and we didn't get to go to cool places and it wasn't with amazing, hilarious people, would I want to be a missionary? That's so challenging. And I want to get to the end of my life and be like Paul, declaring that he's obeyed God to the very, very best of his ability. 
At the end of the passage, he says, I declare today that I have been faithful. If anyone suffers eternal death, it's not my fault, for I didn't shrink from sharing and declaring all that God wants you to know. He's saying that every single thing God asked him to say, he said. Can I say that? How often do I get a prompting from the Holy Spirit that I don't follow? That's so challenging. And reassessing our priorities is costly because we might have to give up some things. On a small scale, we might have to give up an hour or two in bed to pray for the people that we're trying to reach. Or we might have to give up a holiday in a fun place in order to go where God is actually sending us however glamorous or not it sounds. On a bigger scale, there's costs to our pride, to our reputation. Some people won't understand your passion for the world to know the love of Jesus. We have to say yes to the cost of being unconventional. Yes to the cost of being countercultural. Yes to the cost of losing people's approval. Yes to the cost of losing comfort and materialism. And yes, to the cost of keeping going until the work is complete. And so I, I thought about a bunch of different things in my life which I value. And I phrased the question, am I using my fill-in-the-blank to complete the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus? So using this verse, I was reflecting on those things in my life. Um, for example, am I using my time to complete the work assigned to me? Am I using my finances to complete the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus? Am I using my social media to complete the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus? That's really challenging. That's the thing that you can sit down and write the things that you have as priorities in your life and look at, is there anything that needs to shift in order to use those things to complete the assignment of preaching the gospel? Um, so I've been asking God this question, what do I need to change in order to be able to truthfully say, genuinely with my whole heart, that my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it to complete the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus? And I feel like there are three things he said to me. They could be totally different for you. Um, for me, I felt he said, number one, worry less about other people's opinions of you. Number two, realize the gravity of the assignment. And number three, get recaptivated by how wonderful the grace of God is. When we realize that this assignment is actually life or death for the people around us, it should move higher on our priority list. And when we remember how wonderful the grace of God is, how it transformed us where we were and what he brought us out of, that God saved us when we were such a mess, how can we not share it? Um, so I want to get really, really practical before we finish. Um, my goal is that when everybody leaves here today, they would be very, very confident that they can share the gospel in 90 seconds. So... I'd like everyone to grab a partner, um, turn to somebody next to you, and um, imagine that you're in the staff room and somebody has said to, somebody's talking about um, the Queen and her faith and they say, oh, you're a Christian. What is it that you actually believe? So in this scenario, 
you can kind of brush it off and you can say, oh, I'm a, I'm a Christian, yes, um, I, I believe the Bible, I believe Jesus died. Or you have the most amazing opportunity to launch into a 90-second sermon about who Jesus actually is, how he died for them, and what that means for them. So I would have um, a basic like four-point gospel that I've memorized and that I try and like pull out as often as I can. With point one, you're created by God for relationship with him. Point two, all of us mess up. There's a cost to messing up. And if people say, oh, I'm a good person, you know, I talk about the fact that all of us have things that we've done that we would be so embarrassed if anyone knew about them. You would be so ashamed if someone knew you thought that or you did that or you said that. And that's, that's sin. That's the things that separate us from God because God is holy and we're not. Point three, that Jesus came to earth to pay that cost, that by dying on the cross, he paid the cost that should have been ours to pay so that we could be reconciled back to God. And point four, so the free gift that we get to receive is eternal life and forgiveness. That's a super brief recap because I know you know this, but sometimes when we actually come to it, it's really, really hard to articulate. So I'm going to get my timer out. So if you, is everybody's in their pair, can one person from your pair raise your hand? One person from every pair raise the hand. Okay, if you didn't raise your hand, you're going first. <laughs> and I'm starting the timer. 90 seconds to share the gospel. Go. Thirty seconds left. Thirty seconds left. And stop. Okay, switch over. It is the second person's turn.
And second person stop. Did you find that challenging? Yes. Um, did anybody get saved? <laughs> um, I think that this is something that is actually really amazing to practice because it, it feels so awkward when you, you know it, but when you try and communicate it to someone else, it's really hard to put it into words. And um, I think that this is something that we actually should practice um, in order to be able and to be ready to share it with anyone at any time. Um, a few weeks ago, I was in uh, Germany and I was having a conversation with a lady while we were waiting for a tram and we were talking and we were, um, we'd been talking for a while, we'd been sharing um, different life experiences and just having a great conversation and we talked about faith a bit. Um, and we got to this point where she said, actually, I'm, I'm really interested. Um, I'd love to hear more about what it is you th that you believe, but my train comes in, in four minutes. And I said, fantastic, I need 90 seconds. <laughs> um, and because I've practiced this again and again and again and again, and got it down to, I know that I can share in 90 seconds. Um, I was able to give her the gospel in 90 seconds. And she actually, before, before her train came, she ended up giving her life to Jesus and then getting on the train with uh, my friend uh, who goes to church in her city and now is part of a church in Augsburg, um, which is crazy. That, um, But I would never have been able to um, preach the gospel in 90 seconds if I hadn't practiced it until I was confident in it. Um, so that's my challenge for you for this week is to keep practicing. You know, you can be hoovering or doing the dishes or doing some mundane task and practice, set yourself a timer, practice preaching the gospel to your dishes um, so that when you come to preach the gospel to a real life person whose entire future and eternal destiny might change, um, you're confident about what to say. So, yes, I'm going to pray for us um, before we finish. So, yes, Jesus, thank you so much uh, for the power of the gospel. Thank you so much that you came and that you died for us and you have eternal life and freedom and salvation and forgiveness as a free gift to everyone, Lord. Um, would you give us the courage to boldly share it with the people around us? Would you give us the courage um, to share our faith and the gospel with people on a day-to-day -day basis in our workplaces, in our homes, in our streets, Lord? Would you give us the courage and the boldness to step out and share that faith, Lord? Um, amen. Thank you so much, Ayana. It's, uh, it's challenging, isn't it? There's a verse in scripture that says, always be ready to give a reason for the hope that you have. And uh, that was really helpful to uh, set us that little task, which uh, we can practice during the week over the dishes. Good stuff. Um, we're going to sing now. We're going to respond in song. We're going to speak of our God as we sing the words of Cornerstone. So let's stand together, and then Angie is going to lead us in our prayers.